Hallelujah. You know, saints, I really pray that both of those hymns would become our prayer and that the spirit of reality would guide us into the reality of these hymns, which are prayers. You know, the brothers may have said, the first hymn is a hymn by Charles Wesley, and it's a marvelous hymn to sing to the Lord in our daily personal time with him in the morning. And then, of course, you've got this hymn by Emmy Barber, uh, which is so deep, so tender, so marvelous. Um, anyway, thank the Lord for Charles Wesley, our dear brother, and thank the Lord for Sister Barber, our dear sister. Uh, anyway, saints, uh, this is a continuation of message one from last night. And you'll see the title of this message is Passing Through the Process. Saints, we are passing through a process. Our God went through a process. He's the processed and consummated triune God. We are going through a process. Eventually, we will be the processed and consummated tripartite church. So when it says the spirit and the bride say, let's just stop there. At the beginning of Revelation, it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. By the end of Revelation, it's not the Spirit says to the churches, it's the Spirit and the bride say. They are so united, so mingled, so incorporated, so one that they speak as one. They're a couple. And the Spirit is the process and consummated triune God, married to the process and consummated, transformed tripartite church. And so they're, they're one couple. Our destiny is to be one couple with our wonderful, processed, and consummated triune God. So the whole Bible is a romance, and it ends with our marriage to the process and consummated triune God. Okay, so it says passing through the process. We're in a process of learning Christ as the reality is in Jesus to fulfill the desire of God's heart for the reality of the body of Christ. Now, I would just like to mention uh, one point from last night, which I think is very important. Of course, I, I love all the points on that outline. But one of the points said this. It said the purpose of God in sending the Lord Jesus. You have to stop there. What if someone asked you, what was the purpose of God in sending the Lord Jesus? When you read the ministry, you have to read it prayerfully and thoughtfully in the Lord's presence. Sometimes you have to stop. You know, you're reading this and you say to yourself, Lord Jesus, I don't know the purpose of God in sending you. What is the purpose of God in sending him? Just take a little pause there. We'll see them. Then go on. God sent him to be a man and to live a God-man life by the divine life. That's the purpose of God in sending the Lord Jesus. God sent him to be a man and to live a God-man life by the divine life. This kind of living issues in a universal great man which is the one new man, that is exactly the same as he is a man living a God-man life by the divine life. 
And so, saints, uh, you know, Brother Sean gave a testimony over this. I'm glad he did. John 17, 4, which we know that John 17 is a prayer of the Lord. It's his final recorded prayer to the Father. And he says this in John 17, 4. He says, Father, I have glorified you on earth, finishing the work which you have given me to do. What work? What is the work there? The work is to glorify the Father on earth. And that was his God-man living. So Christ's God-man living was his work. His living was his work, and his work was his living. Isn't that wonderful? That's why we have a hymn that says, the overflow of life is work. The work should be our living. Uh, so that is a marvelous point because we always remember John 19:34 when on the cross the Lord gave up his spirit said father into your hands I commit my spirit then he says this it is finished it is finished those three words are powerful that means his work of judicial redemption was finished But there's another aspect of his work in John 17. So he said, I have glorified you on earth, finishing the work. You see, he finished a certain work. What was that work? I have glorified you on earth, finishing the work which you have given me to do. What was that work? That work was for him to live a God-man life by the divine life. And that work was to glorify the Father on earth. Isn't that wonderful, saints? Saints, to me, I mean, you know, every time we get into ministry, we love the Lord Jesus more. And we love the Bible more. Don't you love the Bible? I love the Bible. Uh, You know, there's a verse in Psalm 119, and I can't index it right now, but it's in Psalm 119. And it says this, Your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. Therefore, your servant loves it. Isn't that wonderful? We need to love the word. Love the word. Um, Okay, now, um, let let us come to the outline, and let us look at Roman number one. Now, I'm just going to read Roman number one, because Roman number one is a summary of what we covered last night, Roman number one, A and B. I remember when I worked on this outline, I wanted to make sure that the full-time trainees got the point in message one. So I repeated this in one A and B, and I'll just read this to you. The desire of God's heart is that the reality of the body of Christ, which is the reality in Jesus, Saints, just that is a great revelation. What is the reality of the body of Christ? It's the reality in Jesus. And what is the reality in Jesus? It is the actual condition of the God-man living of Jesus as recorded in the four Gospels. Now, the desire of of God's heart is that this God-man living would be duplicated in the many members of Christ's body by the spirit of reality, to become the reality of the body of Christ, listen to this, the highest peak 
in God's economy. Saints, we are arriving at the highest peak in God's economy. Isn't it amazing that we're even fellowshipping about this? Um, anyway, just wonderful. Now, A says, the four Gospels show the pattern of the life that God desires, the mold of the life that can satisfy God and fulfill his purpose. To learn Christ is to be molded into the pattern of Christ, to be conformed to the image of Christ. B says, when we live in the mingled spirit, the divine spirit dwelling in our human spirit, and these two being mingled together as one spirit, we are learning Christ according to the reality in Jesus by the spirit of reality. Then I love this next sentence. In this way, his biography, say, do you love the Lord's biography? I love the Lord's biography in the four Gospels. It takes four biographies to describe him. In, in Matthew, he's the king's savior. In Mark, he's the slave savior. In Luke, he's the man's savior. In John, he's the God savior. Isn't that wonderful? And those four different aspects of Christ's biography are pictured with the four faces of the living creature in Ezekiel 1. Now, I won't get into that because I'm going to go, if I do that, but, but it's wonderful. You've got those four faces that matches the four aspects of Christ's biography. And his biography becomes our history. That wonderful what? Brother, what is your name? Oh, Henry, that's right. Henry, you're Tommy's dad. Is that, no, you're not. Oh, the other Henry. There's another Henry. I, I only thought there was one Henry. I'm sorry. Okay, where's the other Henry? Is he here? Hi, Henry. Praise the Lord. You have a wonderful son, Henry. I love Brother Tommy. Brother Tommy was the first one to greet me in Queenstown. First one, so I can never forget. It's good to be the other Henry. Hallelujah. Okay. Uh Henry, isn't that wonderful that the Lord's biography becomes our history as we're learning Christ as the reality is in Jesus? Okay, now let's come to Roman numeral two, which is just spectacularly wonderful. In the spirit of the glorified Jesus, there is the transformed humanity of Jesus. To drink of and flow out the one spirit or the one body is to drink of and flow out the spirit of the man Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, with his divinely enriched human virtues of lowliness, meekness, and long-suffering for bearing one another in love. Now, uh, there's a book by Andrew Murray, uh, you know, called The Spirit of Christ. Andrew Murray wrote this book, The Spirit of Christ. Andrew Murray was from South Africa. He wrote this book in the 1800s. And, and um, Brother Watchman Nee loved this book. And so he said in Brother Lee's hearing, something like, oh, I would love it if someone translated this book into Chinese. So Brother Lee took the bait. And he translated this book with, with a group of helpers into Chinese. 
And um, one time he was sharing on, on the spirit. And he said, Brother Ed, come up here to the platform. He had his book in English, The Spirit of Christ. He said, I want you to read these marked passages to the saints. Oh, my goodness. I looked at the book. First of all, I was enthralled to be holding his book in my hand, you know. And there's a chapter in that book called The Spirit of the Glorified Jesus. And, oh, that chapter, I encourage you to read that chapter. This is where Brother Lee got the light concerning the Spirit, the Spirit. And so, uh, essentially, uh, in that book, um, you know, firstly, let, let me read this point again. You know, you got the Spirit of the glorified Jesus, and in the Spirit of the glorified Jesus, there's the transformed humanity of Jesus. You see, when Christ was incarnated, he brought divinity into humanity. When he was resurrected, he brought his humanity into divinity. And his humanity, okay, he was de- he was designated the Son of God in his humanity. He was already the Son of God in his divinity. He was the only begotten Son of God. When he was resurrected, he became not merely the only begotten Son of God. He became the firstborn Son of God, possessing both divinity Listen to this, and divinized humanity, divinized humanity, transformed humanity, sanctified humanity, uplifted humanity. In his resurrection, he uplifted his humanity into divinity. Now, his glorified humanity is a part of the divine sonship, is a part of the divine sonship. So it says, you know, We need to drink of and flow out the one spirit for the one body. This is to drink of and flow out the spirit of the man, Jesus. You know, saints, it wasn't until Christ resurrected, until Jesus resurrected, that the spirit became drinkable. Before that time, the spirit was not drinkable. So this is why he says, listen, in John 7, 37 through 9, says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and think. Did he say that? Let him come to me and think. No, he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and what? And drink and drink. So you have to come to him. Come to me. And drink. Not a small thing. Just pray a simple prayer. Lord, I come to you right now to drink of you. Lord, give me to drink. See, just like John 4. This is John 7. Let's go back to John 4 when he's talking to the Samaritan woman. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who speaks with you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, if you knew the gift of God, Who's the gift of God? He's the gift of God. You see, you see what I mean? He's the gift of God. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who speaks with you, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. Say, if you want the living water, ask him. Ask him. Say, Lord, give me the living water. 
You know what he'll say? Amen, Brother Don. Here's some living water for you, brother. Uh, that's the first thing we have to do is ask him for the living water. So it says, let him come to me and drink. He who believes into me, as the scripture said, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Now notice, uh, verse 37 has, and verse 38 has these two words, drink and flow, drink and flow, drink and flow. This is, this is an, a description of living in the reality of the economy of God. Drink. When you drink, uh, you enjoy the divine dispensing. You know, uh, God, how do I say this? You know, God, in this age, he has only one desire with us. He wants to dispense himself into us day by day, day by day. He does this by our drinking of him. So uh, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. When we drink of him, it's a promise that out of our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So again, to live in the reality of the economy of God is to drink and flow, drink and flow, drink and flow. What describes my life? Drink and flow. Now, uh, I'm, I'm sharing from the life study of Exodus now, where our brother asked this question. How can you tell if a hose is drinking water? A hose. You know, when I was, when I was a, a young boy, it would be real hot in the summer, believe it or not, in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh had strong winters and hot summers. And, uh, so we would be, we would be playing in, in the heat of the summer day. And then I would tell my friends, come to my yard. I have, we have a hose in our backyard. And so when you, when you, when you take that hose and you turn it on, how can you tell the hose is drinking water? You can tell the hose is drinking if something's flowing out of the hose, right? So here's the converse in our experience. If you flow out the water of life, you will drink the water of life. If you drink the water of life, you will flow out the water of life. These are one thing in our experience. Uh, now, saints, okay, I still remember in the summer, I would start drinking from that hose, and I'd go, oh, I'd have to spit the water out first. Because it was rusty. It's full of rust. Sometimes when we stand up to testify, it's rusty. I haven't shared in a long time, you know? But then keep the water flowing, and it gets, it becomes pure and pristine, you know? Uh, so saints, remember these two words from the Bible, drink and flow. Drink and flow. And someone can tell if you are drinking the living water of life, if that living water of life is flowing out of you. So don't, don't stop flowing. If you stop flowing, you stop drinking. And, and again, I'm quoting from, from Life Study of Exodus here. If you stop drinking, it's very dangerous because it's a possibility that you will lose your thirst. For the Lord. We don't want to lose our thirst for the Lord. So the more we flow, the more we're thirsty for him. The more we flow, the more we drink. 
The more we drink, the more we flow. Drink and flow. Drink and flow. Flow and drink. Don't you love those two words? I love those two words because they're from the Bible. They're from the Bible. They're from the heart of God. Okay, now then it goes on to say, but this he said concerning the Spirit. In other words, the living water, the rivers of living water I'm speaking about here are concerning the Spirit. Now, this is the drinkable Spirit, you see, are concerning, the, this is the, the flowing audible Spirit. You know, I'm bending the language to say this. Concerning the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were about to receive. Why were about to receive? Because they could, we could not receive it until he resurrected, until he brought his humanity into his divinity, and his humanity was glorified. So now we are drinking of the spirit of the glorified Jesus, the glorified God-man. And it says, whom those who believed in him were about to receive, for the spirit was not yet, because Jesus was not yet. I'll stop there. The spirit was not yet, because Jesus was not yet. Jesus was not yet what? Jesus was not yet glorified. And Jesus was glorified on the day of his resurrection. Luke uh, 24, uh, it talks about the Son of Man entering into his glory. That was his being glorified. That was his, now listen to this, saints. That was his being born again. How about that? Christ was born the first time, you know, at his physical birth. He was born the second time in resurrection. So that's why it says in Acts 13, you know, Paul is quoting from the Psalms. It says this, uh, and I'll, I'm abbreviating it. Abbreviating it. Uh, God says this, this day I have begotten you. What day is that? That's the day of resurrection. This day I have begotten you. What does that mean? He was, well, that, what does that mean? He was already the only begotten son of God, but he needed to be begotten again. And to be begotten again is to be begotten again or be born again in his humanity. So in his humanity, he was born again into divinity. And now his humanity is glorified humanity, is drinkable humanity, uh, just, just glorious. I feel glorious just speaking these words. Uh, and I'm, I'm saying that because they're not my words. And so, um, saints, uh, we've been baptized into one body, and we were all given to drink one spirit. So, saints, let's give ourselves in this meeting to drink one spirit. This is what makes us one, one, one body and one spirit. There's only one spirit. We drink the one spirit together. That makes us intrinsically one in the triune God. We were all given to drink one spirit. In Acts 16, 7, this is the first time this descriptor of the spirit is used. It says, when Paul and his co-workers had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, yet the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. 
It's the first time this descriptor of the Spirit is used. The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, what does it mean when we when the Bible uses the, the term the Spirit of Jesus? Jesus is a man, all caps, a man, capital M, capital A, capital N. Jesus is a man with abundant strength for suffering. Jesus is a man with abundant strength for suffering. In our natural man, we don't have any strength for suffering. In fact, we say, let's have a pity party. Uh, I don't know if you have that saying in New Zealand, let's have a pity party. You know, uh, we feel sorry for ourselves. We, But when you turn to your spirit, you touch a wonderful God man with abundant strength for suffering. And that suffering is not in vain. That's not suffering for the sake of suffering. That is the suffering for the building up of the body of Christ. That is suffering that produces the body of Christ. That is suffering that builds up the body of Christ. So the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So what happened? The spirit directed them into Macedonia, specifically into Philippi, to Philippi. You know what was awaiting them in Philippi? Suffering, suffering. Now, if that was me, uh, I would have thought, wow, you know, I had, I had a vision in the night. You know, a Macedonian man was saying, come over and help us. Come over and help us. Maybe it was a dream, a vision. You can look, you can look up the exact word, but Paul shared this with his coworkers. And so they concluded that the Lord had called them into Macedonia. Now, this was the initiation of the Lord's move to Europe. LME started at that time. LME began at that time. Uh, now, here's Paul and Silas. They go to Europe. Now, you would think, oh, God led us to go to Europe. Uh, I would think, oh, brass band's going to be waiting for me. The red carpet's going to be rolled out for me. No, a prison is waiting for me. A prison. So you need the spirit of a man with abundant strength for suffering. So we know what happened. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, they were causing, they were always causing quote, quote, problems. You know, uh, you know, Paul was an apostle prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. If you take the first letters of those words, it means a pest, a pest. You know, in one in one verse, they said, these men are pestilent fellows, pestilent fellows. Because when we're living Christ and we're enjoying Christ and expressing Christ, we preach the gospel, it, it just, it upsets it can upset people. What did you do to my son? He's happy now. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. Before I received the Lord, I was miserable. But everybody liked me. After I received the Lord, I was ecstatically happy that everybody started to dislike me. Now, isn't that, isn't that illogical? That's Satan's illogicality. You know, Satan is not logical. Just think about that. Satan is not logical. Uh, I, I can never forget probably pointing that out. 
Okay, now, so the spirit of Jesus led them into Macedonia, into Europe, into a town named Philippi, where they were beaten with rods. And the jailer, the jailer, uh, you know, the jails, the Roman jails weren't like our jails. Our jails were luxury versus those kind of jails. I mean, those are in deep caves, you know. Uh, oh, my goodness, I can't even imagine. So they put Paul and Silas in the stocks, S-T-O-C-K-S. Now, if you're in the stocks, your feet are, you know, there's a hole for your feet. There's, there's two holes for your arms, and there's one hole for your neck. And so here they are, and they're looking at one another. Now, if I was Silas, I might have said, Paul, I don't think that dream of yours was from the Lord. <laughs> but, but they didn't do that. Thank the Lord for Silas. You know, you know what they did? They sang hymns. They sang. And it says, oh, I love this. It says, at midnight. What, listen to this. At midnight. This is Acts 16. At midnight, while praying. They sang hymns of praise to God. While they were praying, they sang. Now, we shouldn't be religious. When you're spending time with the Lord, you're praying, and the Lord wants you to sing. Oh, I can't sing. Oh, it's time for my prayer. Why? But while praying, they sang hymns of praise to God. Now, listen to this part of the verse. It doesn't say, and the prisoners heard them. It says, and the prisoners were listening to them. It's one thing to hear the sound, hear the voice. It's another thing to listen to them. That means they heard the words. They heard the melody. They heard the words. Now, what is a proof of that, that they heard the words? Eventually, just by singing, praying and singing at midnight, the darkest hour, they're praying. They're singing hymns of praise to God. There's an earthquake. All the doors of the prison open. All their stocks go, they're free. They're free. Now, in the natural sense, if, the, if, if you were Paul and Silas, and, you know, the jailer was going to do away with himself. He has sword, you know, because, because well, what if, you know, if all the prisoners leave, what awaits him from the Romans is worse than death. There's something worse than death. So he's about to commit suicide. Now, if we were Paul and Silas, we said, let's get out of here. Forget about that guy. He was mean to us, you know, but they, Paul didn't do that. He said, do yourself no harm. We are all here, not just Paul and Silas, but all the other prisoners. Do yourself no harm. We are all here. You know what that jailer did? He fell on his knees before Paul and Silas, and he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and your household will be saved. Now, how did he know to ask that question, what must I do to be saved? There must have been something in there saying, you see, you need Jesus, you need Jesus, men and women all need him. You know, I'm not saying they sang that, but I love that song, by the way. Uh, they sang something about salvation. You see, otherwise, how did that jailer know to say, 
what must I do to be saved? Well, it's wonderful. Uh, he brought them up into his house, and his whole family prayed and received the Lord. Then that very night, they were all baptized. They were all baptized. And uh, if you look closely, you read closely. Um, I want to be very accurate, but you, you can look at the footnote. The baptistry was kind of under their home. It was part of their home, the, the, the baptistry. So it's scriptural to baptize people in their bathtubs. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that in a light way. Their baptistry was in their home. I wish I had the, maybe I can find that. Can you bear with me? Okay. Listen to this. Uh, this is Acts 16. This is just the text of the recovery version here, not the footnote. Uh, Acts 16, 14, 15, I've got 17. Let's go to 16. Okay, now it says this. Uh, it says this. Uh, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved and your household. Okay, then it says this. He took them, Paul and Silas, with him in that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. Isn't that sweet? He washed their wounds. He was a part of giving them wounds. He washed their wounds. And he was baptized immediately. Don't wait. Someone believes in the Lord Jesus, baptize them immediately, he and all his household. Now listen to this. Listen that these words are very striking. And he brought them up into his house. That shows he was baptized below their house. You see what I mean? In their cellar, their basement, whatever. He brought them up into his house, and he set a table before them. And he exulted because he had believed in God with all his household. He brought them up into his house. I think there's a footnote on that. Um, Anyway, saints, uh, you know, I still remember when I went to Taipei. Wasn't that, was that 87, Dawn? 87. Dawn, you might not remember this. We were, you know, Dawn and I, and this little Chinese-speaking sister, Dawn and I are each six foot four inches tall. Am I right? We used to be anyway. Am I right, Dawn? Okay, anyway. Uh, I was so glad to have a brother. I could look eye to eye. <laughs> we look eye to eye. Then we had this, this little Chinese-speaking sister. Her name was Sharon in an English name. How tall was she, Dawn, would you say? Maybe maybe she was a foot. Maybe she was five foot four. You know, I'm six foot four. My wife is five foot four. I think so. Where's Ruthie? Where's Ruthie at? Ruthie, are you five four? Okay, you have, I'm a foot taller than my wife. So here's Sharon. She's probably about five foot four. Uh, uh, and, and, and Dawn, it was so funny. When, when we would go to a house, you remember there'd be a wall like this? And you and I would be looking over the wall, trying to speak Chinese. What song made will I? Anybody forget about that. You know, that's, I'm from America. And so Dawn was from New Zealand, but he didn't know how to say it. New Zealand and Chinese. Okay. 
and uh, and uh, we learn how to say to Yesu what I need. Not bad, huh? To Yesu, woman, I need. That's Lord Jesus. We love you. Okay, but Sharon, the, the person couldn't see Sharon. She could see Dawn and I. She's like, and she would say, "Come in, come in." And then we would come in, and oh, Sharon would just take over almost. I mean, she was such a lovely sister, and she would translate for us, you know. But just her person meant so much. On one time, we were preaching the gospel. We knocked on, in, we were in an apartment. I'll remind you of this. We knocked on this door. The door opened, and his bathtub was being filled up. He was filling up the bathtub for him to take a bath. And we both looked at one another, and we went, praise the Lord. He's filling up the baptistry for us. I don't know if you remember that, Dawn. I can still remember that. Anyway, think about it. It'll come back to you, brother. Okay, now. Uh, <laughs> okay. So uh, you have the spirit of the man, Jesus, a man with abundant strength for suffering. So let me say this. The spirit who was not yet is the spirit with the humanity of Jesus. This spirit, who is the living water flowing out from within us, is constituted with the humanity of Jesus. Without the humanity of Jesus, there could never be such a spirit. And verse 39 proves this that the spirit was constituted with the glorified humanity of Jesus. We must realize that, uh, you know, this humanity is speaking of a resurrected humanity, a resurrected humanity. If God would be a flowing river of water of life out of our innermost being, he he must be constituted into our being. First of all, he must be constituted with the human nature of Jesus. We have to be constituted with him by drinking of him. Okay, now let's come to A. You know, just that much, saint, I just, I, I feel like I can sit down now. I mean, just, sorry, I'm going to take my time, but, you know, uh, I'll give you plenty of time to share. But, but saints, it's just, all of these things are so marvelous. And let's come to A. In order to live in the reality of the body of Christ and the church life, We need to experience Christ and humanity as our lowliness and meekness. To be lowly is to remain in a low estate. And to be meek is not to fight for oneself. See, in our natural life, we want to fight for ourselves. You know, uh, a brother says something to us or our wife says something to us. Say, you don't understand me. You don't know. Well, you can't say that to the Lord. And say, Lord, you don't understand me. He'll say, I understand you better than you understand yourself, Brother Ed. You know, uh, but when we enjoy the meekness of Christ in the drinkable spirit, we don't fight for ourselves. You see, now, B says, in order to live in the reality of the body of Christ in the church life, we need to experience Christ and his humanity as our long suffering with joy, not short suffering, long suffering with joy. To be long suffering is to endure mistreatment 
for the sake of the body. You know, when we come in the church life, lots of times we feel that we're in a utopia, right? We're in the church life. I'm in a utopia. Well, just wait a couple months. You'll see you are not in a utopia. And saints, in the church life, sometimes we get mistreated. Why? Because not, not everybody in this room is fully transformed. Are you fully transformed? I'm not fully transformed. Sometimes we're in a citrus house or buzz house. This brother really irritates us. He really irritates Everything he does irritates us. We're in a sister's house. And this one sister, she just irritates you. You're so neat and so fastidious. So you take the toothpaste tube and you roll it like this. And she takes the toothpaste tube and goes like this. Oh, Lord Jesus, why isn't this sister more neat? You see, so, but, <laughs> okay, anyway, uh, we need to be long-suffering, and we need to endure. Saints, sometimes in the church life, we get mistreated. We have to, re- it's not that we, sh- we should love all the brothers and sisters, but we are all thorny, P-H-O-R-N-Y. When Moses saw that vision, of that flame of fire. It says he saw a vision of a flame of fire in a thorn bush. In a th- we are that thorn bush. The flame of the triune God is burning without our redeemed humanity. You see, thorns are a sign of the fall, of the curse. We've been redeemed, but we're still on the way. So we're still thorny. So sometimes we're with the brothers and sisters and we Ah, and they get they get hurt by one of our thorns, and we didn't even realize. We didn't realize. Oh, I hurt Brother Henry, and he went, "Ah, I'm not Henry number one. I'm Henry number two. You know. <laughs> anyway, brothers and sisters, we are the spirit in our spirit. Remember this." This spirit with the humanity of Jesus, we're not long-suffering, but he is long-suffering, and he can endure any kind of mistreatment for the sake of the body. So he says, in order to live in the reality of the body of Christ in the church life, we need to experience Christ in his humanity for bearing one another in love. Although at times we cause the Lord a great deal of trouble. Let me ask you. Do you cause the Lord a great deal of trouble? Of course you do. I do too. Does it feel like the Lord is saying, Ed, don't cause me so much trouble? No, he doesn't say that. But even though I cause him trouble, he still loves me. He still loves me. Um, isn't that wonderful? Although we cause the Lord, a, he's trying to transform us. And we're resisting it, Right? So we cause him a great deal of trouble. But even though we do, the Lord Jesus always bears us. The Lord Jesus never gives up on us. He hasn't given up on any of us, has he? Not only that, he won't allow us to give up on anyone when we're shepherding someone. Uh, Okay, Uh, let, let me read on. In the church life, we should not forsake the troublesome one. 
Now, in our natural man, don't we want to forsake the troublesome ones? You know, Peter said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? Now, this is me. I feel that Peter was offended by one of the brothers and six times. And so he said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? I think when it, when it came to time seven, he was going to blast his brother. You know what I mean? This is me now. But, but consider it. How many times should I forgive my brother? Up to 70 times? And the Lord said, Peter, not up to 70 times, but up to 70 times seven. That's 490. Now, you can't say offense number one, offense number two, offense number 10, offense number 20, offense number 22. <laughs> Eventually, you lose count. You lose count. So that means you, you have to forgive people infinitely. He can only forgive people like that up to, you know, 70 times seven. And so we should not forsake the troublesome ones, but bear them in love as the expression of our enjoyment of Christ as light. Saints, this is why we need to enjoy the Lord. Only by the enjoyment of the Lord can we bear the troublesome ones. We're all troublesome ones, right? Okay, now, now brothers and sisters, I love, if you'll notice, I have CF Psalm 73, 21 through 26 on here. And I love Psalm 73. Because at the beginning of Psalm 73, the psalmist, he says, truly God is good to Israel. And then he starts being real with the Lord. And he says, Lord, these ones, the ungodly, the ungodly ones, every, they're, they're just having a great time. They're, they're not suffering the way I do. I love you, but I'm suffering every day. Every day something bad happens to me. But these ungodly ones, they don't have any problems. Now, he was in darkness, right, of course. But sometimes we think that way. I came to the full-time training. I'm suffering every day. But look at my colleagues in the world. They've got a great job. They're having a good time. Here I am in the full-time training. I'm being mistreated every day by my fellow trainees and my trainers. Okay, so the psalmist goes on. The psalmist could not understand this. He said, when I tried to understand this, it was too difficult for me. Now, listen to what verse 17 of this psalm says. It's not on here. But in verse 17, the first word is until. Until. That's a big word. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Now, that word until means when he went into the sanctuary of God, he got clear. What is the sanctuary of God? The sanctuary of God is the church. In particular, in particular, the sanctuary of God is the church meetings. When you come to a church meeting, you get clear. You might, you might feel, oh, you know, why are the ungodly ones? They don't suffer like I do. Then you come to a church meeting, you got, your eyes get open. No one knows you're going through all these things inside, but, but you do. And the Lord does. And you come to a meeting and the saints are sharing and it might have nothing to do 
with your particular situation, but the Lord shines on your particular situation. Hasn't that happened to us? So he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. I didn't understand their what the real situation was until I went into the church meeting. Sanctuary of God, secondly, is our spirit. Our spirit is the sanctuary of God. So when we turn to our spirit and when we come to the church meetings, we get clear. We get clear. Uh, I would say uh, uh, all our inner turmoil, uh, uh, you know, we get brought out of all our, the inner turmoil we have, all our problems or perplexities are explained to us. And, and Christ as our solution to all our problems is imparted into us. So he, say, he says this, the psalmist says this, when my heart was embittered, he's talking to the Lord, and inwardly I was pricked. I was brutish and knew nothing, Lord. I was like a beast before you. Now that's getting real with the Lord. You see, that's how we need to talk to the Lord. Lord, I was like a beast before you. No spirit. It's like a beast, like a dog wagging his tail with his teeth out. You know, I was like a beast before you. And he says, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me in glory. Now, remember, the first part of the song is ends with until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then the whole song turns. First, he was like a beast before the Lord. Then until, then he became a God-man with his enlightened understanding. Then he ends this way, saints. I love this. I love these verses. Whom do I have in heaven but you? And besides you, there is nothing I desire on earth. We should say that to the Lord every day. Lord, whom do I have in heaven but you? And besides you, there is nothing I desire on earth. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the rock of my heart and my portion forever. Just glorious. Now, D says, if we call on the name of the Lord and feed upon him, we will enjoy Jesus as a man, not just as God. We will enjoy Jesus as a man, and all the virtues of his uplifted humanity will be ours in the spirit of Jesus for the practice of the recovered church life. Now, you see, we need the humanity of Jesus for the church life, don't we? Of course we do. Now, he said, we all need to spend an adequate amount of personal time with the Lord to privately fellowship with him in our spirit so that we can be filled with his glorified humanity. When you pray, Father, fill me with the spirit, that spirit includes the glorified humanity of Jesus. So we want to be filled with the spirit, which is to be filled with his glorified humanity that enables him to shepherd others through us and to shine through us for others to see him in us. Isn't that wonderful, brothers? Think about it. 
That's, I love these young brothers. You love me, brothers? I love you too. Okay. All right, let me go on. Saints, all of these, I can't read all these verses. They're all awesome. Saints, don't, don't let this collect dust on your shelf. You know, many times we say, oh, you know, what did Brother Ed say there? It's perfect for what I'm, just dust it off. Get back into it. See what I mean? And, and the Lord can render some real organic help to you in your situation. Now, Roman number three says, we must learn to take Christ as our secret of sufficiency and as our living and indwelling pattern, enjoying him as the unsearchably rich spirit of reality, who is the reality of the body of Christ. I'm sorry, forgive me. Um, this is B.C., before Christ. Uh, I remember there was a, 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 I don't even know what the television show was about. All I know was the title of it was, I have a secret. I have a secret. Maybe you didn't. I'm old, so you didn't watch stuff like that. Okay. I have a secret. Uh, but saints, we have a secret. We have a secret. We have. We are learning the secret. Paul says, I have learned the secret. I have learned the secret of how to enjoy, how to experience Christ, how to enjoy Christ in any situation. And in any environment, I can call on the Lord. I've learned the secret. I can say, Lord Jesus, and I'm in the Holy Spirit. That's a great secret. I can say, oh, Lord. Listen, that word, oh, is meaningful. One time, this dear brother, he's a medical doctor now. He was in medical school. All these opposers were bothering him. He comes to within his apartment. Knocks on the door. He says, Brother Ed, all these opposers are saying all kinds of things to me. You know what they said to me today? Why do you people say, oh, so much? Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord. Why do you say, oh? I said, okay, brother. You know, we didn't have, you know, phone with information on. I said, let me get the Strong's Concordance out. It's this thick, you know. And so I looked up the word, oh. Hundreds and hundreds of O's. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. Early will I seek thee. Thou art my God. Oh, Lord. Saints, when you say, oh, you've said it all. Listen, if I say Henry, Henry, Henry. Okay, good. So he said, yes, that means he's Henry. You call on the name, you get the person of that name. But let's, let's say I say, Henry. No, no, no. Don't don't analyze. Henry. Good. You need to say it louder. Henry. Yes. Good. What if I say this, Henry? Oh, Henry. Yes. That means I really want Henry, right? Oh, oh, Henry's a candy bar, too. I forgot about that. Okay. Forget about that. Oh, Lord Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Forget about that. Strike that from the message, you know. I'm so glad that when I share in the feast, my messages are edited, you know. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, Henry, that means I really want you. If I say, oh, Lord, it means I really need you, Lord. 
Now, if I say, Lord Jesus, that's wonderful. But if I say, oh, Lord Jesus, that's even more, you know, you really want the Lord. If you say, oh, listen, saints, sometimes it's sufficient just to say, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. Saints, we need to, oh, Lord, our way into the kingdom. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord Jesus. And we can add, oh, Lord Jesus, I love you, Lord. I love you today more than I ever have in my entire life. I love you, Lord Jesus. How about we say, Lord Jesus, I love you right now. Lord Jesus, I love you. Saints, yeah, you can say it again. Lord Jesus, I love you. You know, saints, it's almost impossible. (laughs) It's almost impossible to say, Lord Jesus, I love you without a smile on your face. You can't say, Lord Jesus, I love you. (laughs) You you have to try. It's very difficult to do that. Because when you say, Lord Jesus, I love you, you know what he says inside of you? I love you too. I love you too. Now, that's a scriptural basis for that. John 14, 21 says, if anyone loves me, he will be loved by my father and I will love him. I will love him. And I will manifest myself to him. I will make myself real to him. So when you say, when you turn your heart to the Lord, when you exercise your spirit, when you say, Lord Jesus, I love you, the Father and the Son say, Ed, I love you too. Isn't that wonderful? And not only that, the Son, the Lord Jesus, he manifests himself to us. He makes himself real to us. That's John 14, 21. In verse 23, he says that anyone loves me, the, the Father and I will come to him and make an abode with him. That's a mutual abode. How do you abide in the Son and the Father? How do the Son and the Father abide in you? Practically, we need to turn our heart to the Lord Jesus. We need to exercise, listen, our human spirit, because God has infused him with us with himself as love. God is love, right? He infused himself into us as love. So now, according to 2 Timothy 1, Six and seven, our spirit is now a spirit of love, a spirit of power, spirit of power, spirit of love, and a spirit of sober-mindedness. So when we turn our heart to the Lord, when we exercise our spirit of love, the, the Lord, the Lord and the Father say, Ed, I love you too. And they come to you and make an abode with you. You abide in them, they abide in you. Isn't this, brothers and sisters, this is a simplicity. It's in Christ, but it's so deep. You know, the ocean is very deep. I live near the, oh, this is the Pacific Ocean here, right? You live on one side of the Pacific. I live on the other side of the Pacific. When I look east, there's a Pacific. No, west. When you look east, there's a Pacific. When I look west, there's New Zealand. When you look east, there's Southern California. <laughs> okay, but we both enjoy the Pacific. And the Pacific is such a beautiful, vast, deep, rich ocean. You know, there was this explorer 
He, when I was younger, he was on National Geographic a lot. Uh, his name was Jacques Cousteau. I don't know if you remember him, Jacques Cousteau. And he used to go diving. And in those days, when you went diving, the dive suit was this big iron helmet. And the hose went all the way up to the ship. And he would, and you had, you had shoes that were weighted shoes. So they would keep you fixed to the ocean floor. He would go down there. He'd be seeing all kind of stuff, fishes with three eyes and, and all kind of strange stuff living in the depths of the ocean. Saints, we still have not explored the entire ocean that we haven't done it and you can't do it. How much more the Lord Jesus? The Lord Jesus is like an ocean, an ocean. And, and when we pursue the Lord, when we stretch forward to him, we are, we are discovering daily the unexplored territory of the Lord Jesus. There is a vast unexplored territory of Jesus that we have to explore uh, every day. So uh, when we call on the name of the Lord, we enter into more of our wonderful Lord Jesus. Okay, now I read Roman numeral three. Let's come to, uh, of course, like I said, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Paul said, I have learned in whatever circumstances I am to be troubled. Did he say that? You don't have to learn to be troubled. You don't have to learn to be anxious. He said, I have learned in whatever circumstances I am to be content, to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. You know, to be abased is when you're in a low situation. To abound is when you're in a high situation. Many times when we're abased, when we're abased, we have to learn how to enjoy the Lord. When we abound, we have to learn how to enjoy the Lord. Now, you might think, well, I don't need to learn anything when I abound. You know, well, but when you're abounding, it's easy to forget the Lord. I'm I'm doing okay, you know. I'm here in what I'm here in Queenstown. What can be better than Queenstown, you know? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go to Queenstown again. Hallelujah! But I have to learn how to abound. I have to learn how to base. And what is that learning? I have learned the secret in everything and in all things. I have learned the secret both to be filled and to hunger, both to abound and to lack. I am able to do all things in him who empowers me. I am able to do all things. I'm able to live in a in an abased environment, in a poor environment. Uh, I have learned how to do all things in him, in Christ, who empowers me. You know what? Um, I believe I'm, I'm, I just want to make sure I get this correct. We have a WEST, W-U-E-S-T, expanded translation of the New Testament. You know, Brotherly had, Brotherly had 40 Bibles. Can you imagine that? 40 by at least 40 Bibles. And so he has a recovery version, but he had 39 other Bibles. So he would look at all of them, you know, because you can't exhaust a Greek word or Hebrew word. In the Weiss translation, it says this, 
I am able to do all things in him who constantly infuses strength into me. Isn't that wonderful? Wonderful. Okay, now uh, let us go on. I'm saying that to myself. Let us go on, Brother Ed. Okay. Uh, now let's come to be the Lord's ministry. We, we already shared it. He serves us in the present with himself as the only life that is a delight to God, a life that is a repetition of the life Christ lived on earth. So we need to pray, Lord, serve me. I need you to serve me in the present with yourself as the life that is a delight to God. My life is not a delight to God, but Lord, you are my life. You are in my spirit, and you are the life that is a delight to God. Serve me with yourself as life today. Now, C says, in order, I love this, saints. Listen to this. In order to learn Christ as the reality is in Jesus, we need to realize that we only have today. Saints, do you have yesterday? You have tomorrow? We only have today. You know, before the first group of saints went to Russia, and they went to Russia in the winter, imagine, you know, Brotherly as Dictator and Andrew and I to visit Russia in January of 1993, the dead of winter, said, I want you brothers to go to Moscow, January 1993. And he said, have a nice vacation. And he laughed when he said it. He laughed. Because, humanly speaking, you don't have a vacation in Moscow in the winter. You know what touched those Russians so much is that our saints went there in the winter. And they didn't leave. They stayed there. You know, a lot of missionaries do go to Russia. They say, wow, this is too cold. I'm out of here. You know, um, anyway, our saints didn't do that. Okay, now, we need to realize that we only have today. The word today is a big word in the book of Hebrews. Today, if you have heard his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, today, today. We do not have tomorrow to rest in the Lord today and leave tomorrow with him is to set our mind on the spirit. Our pneumatic Christ is the I am, the now Christ, the today Christ, the present presence of God. Don't you need the present presence of God right now? I do. You know, uh, my wife, she was watching, uh, um, what is it? Uh, lsmwebcast.org, lsmwebcast.org. If you've never got on there, I encourage you to get on there, lsmwebcast.org. Okay, now, I had never got, you know, I'm, when we serve at Living Stream, we're serving on different sides of the tabernacle. You know, so I didn't even know at that point that there was such a thing as lsmwebcast.org. So Ruthie's in the other room. She says, Eddie, come in here. You got to see Brother Lee sharing. Man, I better go in there. I go in the room. She goes, Eddie, look at your hair. You're on the front row. Look at your hair. It's entirely black. I said, okay, Ruthie, I'll leave for that. 
Uh, but Brother Lee's sharing. Oh, Brother Lee was so full of vigor in the Lord. He was so excited in the Lord. He kept saying, you only have today. You don't have yesterday. You don't have Eldon Hall. Now, when did the recovery begin? 1969, Peter, or what? What? Yeah, New Zealand. 1970. Well, you don't have 1970 anymore, do you? But sometimes we can say this, Peter, we get us at it. Oh, I long for the years of 1970. You know what I'm saying? That's our natural man. Oh, it was so good in 1970. Actually, it wasn't that good. It wasn't that good. It's better today. So, well, he said, forget about El Nol. You only have today. Forget about even yesterday. You only have today. Forget about this morning. Forget about what you had for breakfast this morning. You only have today. He kept saying this again and again. Forget about, don't even think about tomorrow. <clears throat> we don't have tomorrow. We only have today. It says that in Matthew 7. We're not people of tomorrow. We're people of today. He kept saying this again. He kept using the word today, today, today. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Winston Churchill's speech in World War II. We will fight them on the beaches. We will fight them in the hills. We will fight them in our homes. We will fight them here. We will fight them there. We will fight them. There. You know, if, if you're a good grammarian, you would have said, now, now, Sir Winston, you should have said, we'll fight them on the beaches, in the hills, in our homes, in the air, you know, comma, comma, comma. No, he kept repeating, we will fight. We will fight. We will fight. We will fight. That was the rhetorical force of his speech. When you got done hearing him, what stuck with you is we will fight. So Brother Lee kept saying, you don't have tomorrow. You only have today. Then he kept saying that you only have today. You only have today. You only have today. Eventually, the whole congregation stood up. And they were shouting, today, today, today. And Brother Lee was on the platform. His face was shining. And he was going, today, today, today. You know what? As I was listening to that, I said, you know what? I edited that message, and it's in a book. How in the world could I have edited that, you know? So I went and looked in the book, and I looked at that at what I had edited, I said, well, thank the Lord. Lord, I think that's the best I could have done. You know, but but you had to be there. You know, so um, uh, I did the best I could. I believe the Lord was with me. I read that to Brother Lee, too. I should have got on my feet when I was reading it, Brother Lee, today, Brother Lee, today, you know, but I didn't do that. You know, so anyway, it's in print. Uh, now, let's come to D. D as members of the body. We must look to the Lord for his mercy in the body, through the body, for the body, and by the supply of the body, to be like the resurrection enjoying Lazarus. Brothers, what are your names? These young brothers here on the end, what are your names? Ezra? Caleb. Caleb. Wow, those are great names, brother. Ezra, the Lord's recovery. Caleb, you're one of the two spies that were positive, right? <laughs> so you have Ezra and Caleb, wonderful. 
Saints, we need to be a resurrection enjoying Lazarus. And what's amazing about Lazarus, he got raised from the dead, right? We know the whole story in John 11. Then Lazarus doesn't even have to say a word. When people look at him, they say, I believe in Jesus because he resurrected Lazarus. So just Lazarus's person uh, was the gospel. And so it says Lazarus, who became a silent testimony of the Lord's power, a proof of the Lord's love, and a manifestation of the Lord's grace. See, that's how we are when we have a conference together. We see one another. Dawn sees me. I'm like Lazarus to Dawn. I see Dawn. He's like Lazarus to me. Oh, we're so we're always happy to see one another, right, Dawn? And and it's almost amazing that we were in Taipei together in 1987. How many years ago was that, Dawn? I can't compute it. Someone help us. 1987. Yeah, three. It's 1990. It what? 37 years. How about that, Dawn? 37. We were a lot younger then, brother. 37 years ago, we were enjoying the Lord together. Wonderful, wonderful. And now we're like Lazarus. People see us and say, I believe in the Lord Jesus. Okay, one says, look, we just like Lazarus, we may have been dead, thinking, cold, and far away from the Lord. But saints, we are still here. While we are sitting here, saints, while you're sitting there, though we may not be doing anything or saying anything, we're just sitting here. We are reminders and a living testimony that the Lord Jesus has resurrected us. By this alone, God gains the glory. In other words, you come to a meeting and you just sit there and God gains the glory. But you have to sit there with a turned heart with an exercise spirit. You know, I can always, when I look out on, on, on you say, don't get in your mind, you know, but I can always tell who's enjoying the Lord. And sometimes I look out and people are like, their face is shining. Sometimes I look out, their face is like, oh, Lord Jesus. You know? and sometimes I look out and, and somebody, oh, there. when I go to Tokyo, I love the saints in Tokyo. Because they're so busy, you know, bullet trains. They're working day and night. And so they come to the meeting. And lots of times they'll sleep in the meeting. Doesn't bother me at all. There is this one brother. Every time I speak in Tokyo, he is in his seat like this. His mouth is wide open, just like that. I'm just saying, Lord Jesus, don't let a fly go in his mouth. Whatever you do, you know what I mean. But I love that brother. I love that brother. I like to see him in the meet. I really do. He's like Lazarus. He's like Lazarus. <laughs> okay. Resurrection means that we cannot do anything by ourselves, but that we can do it only in God and through God. This means that the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. You, you know, saints, uh, Brother Nee shared this, and this is true. The Lord Jesus is our physician, right? He's our doctor. He has a sign on the front of his doctor's office. Here's what it says. 
only deals with impossible cases. That's you, Caleb. You're an impossible case. And Ezra, you're an impossible case. But go to the doctor's office. The Lord Jesus deals with impossible cases. That's me, too. Okay. Now, uh, let me see here. You know, when I when I put it down, all these verses about resurrection, one of the verses I have is Numbers 17, 1 through 8, which talks about Aaron's budding rod, Aaron's budding rod. And, and the leaders of the 12 tribes, Moses said, give me 12 rods representing your tribe. And he put it in the Holy of Holies before the ark. And, um, and uh, you know, God told Moses, I want you to, oh, listen to this. You, you discover new things when you're reading the Bible. I'm reading the Bible here. You shall write every man's name upon his rod. How about that? Don Pierce. Write his name upon his rod. Ed Marks. Right. Okay, anyway, write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi. For there shall be one rod for the head of each of their father's houses, and you shall place them in the tent of meeting before the testimony, that's the ark, where I will meet with you. And the rod of the man whom I choose shall bud. And I will put a stop to the murmurings of the children of Israel against me, which they murmur against you. In other words, I'm going to put a stop to their murmurings. You know how? You know, they were murmuring against Aaron and Moses, but actually they were murmuring against the Lord. So I'm going to put a stop to their murmuring by causing Aaron's dead, leafless, dry rod to bud and to blossom and to bear ripe almonds so it says this, uh, it says on the next day, this is these words, on the next day. That means the rods were in front of the ark all night. Can you imagine Aaron? Aaron was probably, oh, Lord, what's going to happen to my rod tonight? He was probably up all night. I'm not saying he was up all night. This is me. Goes, oh, Lord, what's going to happen to my rod? Well, here comes morning. Here's the rod of Aaron. For the house of Levi, it had budded. It even put forth buds and produced blossoms and bore ripe almonds. Now, uh, I wrote this down. The rods were to lie before God in the tent of meeting through a whole night. Oh, this is the ministry. This is where I got this from. It is not likely that Aaron slept well that night. I forgot that I that was in the ministry. He probably thought about his rod, wondering if it would bud. For Aaron, that night was truly a dark night. Sometimes for his vindication, I like this, God puts us to a dark night and a dark tunnel through which we must pass. Come out of the tunnel, a rod is budding. A rod is, is bearing, you know, blossoms and producing Ripe almonds. That's a sign of resurrection, you see. And saying the principle to our serving the Lord is resurrection. Uh, resurrection is the realm of impossibility. See, the, the, rod, the rod budding, that's impossible. So our service should always be in resurrection 
It should always be in the realm of impossibility. Now, uh, Roman number four says, as we are in the process of learning Christ as the realities in Jesus, we need to seek out the journey, the course that the Lord has ordained for us according to his perfect will and to finish our course in living a heavenly life on earth for the reality of the body of Christ. Now, I have on here Mark 6, 45 through 51. You remember the Lord compelled the disciples to step into the boat and go before to the other side to Bethsaida. And so he went away to the mountain to pray. And when evening fell, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he, the Lord Jesus, was alone on the land. But he could see them. I mean, he's God. We can see them distressed as they rowed. Saints, when we are rowing in our human life, many times we are distressed as we row. For the wind was contrary to them. Saints, in our daily life, the wind is contrary to us. We're, go- we're going against the wind. Uh, I think that's very illuminating. The wind was contrary to them. And... Uh, It says, he came to them about the fourth watch of the night. Now, the fourth watch of the night is the very end of the night. It's the very last part of the night. Listen, you might think you're at the very end, the last part of the night. Don't give up. The Lord is right around the bend. Don't give up. You know what George Mueller said? He said this, the key to receiving God's great success is to persevere through the last half hour. I really like that. Okay, so um, they saw him, and they thought it was a ghost, and they were startled. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, take courage, it is I. I like this, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he went up unto them into the boat, and the wind ceased. The wind ceased. And they were greatly astonished in themselves beyond measure. Remember, they said, who is this man? Even the winds and the waves and the storm obey him. Okay, now, let me go to the next point. And he says, from the ascension of Christ to his coming again, the world is in a long night. The night is far advanced. Our boat is in the midst of the sea. And we still have not reached the destination of our journey. B says we need to realize that the journey of faithful believers is one in which the wind is contrary to them. And they experience being distressed as they row. We need to take the Lord into our boat. He said, Lord Jesus, I take you into my boat. What is our boat? Our married life, our family, our business, etc." When we take him into our our boat, we enjoy peace with him on the journey of human life. She says, before the Lord's coming, there will be a falling away and perilous times, and evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Because men do not receive the love of the truth, these are the followers of Antichrist, actually, God sends to them an operation of error that they might believe the lie. 
Saints, if you consider the world outside the church life, they believe the lie. Something is true. I mean, something is a lie, but they believe it. They take it for the truth. So Isaiah 520 to me describes the world today. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's exactly what's happening. Woe to those. Here's something evil, they call it good. Here's something good, they call it evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. That is exactly what happens today. This is darkness, they call it light. This is light, they call it darkness. Terrible. I'm so glad I'm in the church life. In the church life, there's always good news. You know, gospel means good news. You know that, Caleb, right? Caleb, you know a lot, brother. I think you could, you could get up here and share if I sat down. Okay, now, Romans 5 says, In these days, just before the dawn of the Lord's coming, we need to stand against the wearing out tactics of Satan. Be empowered in the grace which is in Christ Jesus and receive mercy from the Lord to be faithful in order to take the journey that he has ordained for us for the sake of building up of his, the building up of his body, the preparation of his bride to bring him back. Now in Daniel 7.25, Daniel is predicting a future about the Antichrist. And it says the Antichrist will speak things against the Most High, and he will wear out the saints of the Most High. But that speaks of the devil, too. What is the devil trying to do with us? He tries to wear us out. We're the wearing out tactics of Satan. Now, look at A. Satan always works to attack God's children. His attacks are not sudden. They mostly come gradually. This is why the Bible says that the love of the many will grow cold. In other words, it doesn't become cold like that. It grows cold, little by little. Satan wears out God's children gradually, repeatedly, frequently, and daily. One says, Satan wears out the physical bodies of God's children. He depletes men of a little food today and a little sleep tomorrow. He makes them a little tired today and a little tired tomorrow. The cumulative effect of this tiredness eventually destroys their health completely. This is why Brother Lee said to me one time in a table meeting, he said this twice to me. I had missed the previous Lord's Day because I was ill. So Brother Lee comes in, he sits beside me, grabs me by the arm. You know, Brother Lee was strong, even in his 70s and 80s, grabbing, you know, oh me by the arm. He said, Brother Ed, whispers to me, your health comes first, the work comes second. I said, okay, Brother Lee. Because the table's going. Said, okay, Brother Lee. Then he grabs my arm again. He said, did you hear what I said, Brother Ed? Your health comes first, the work comes second. That is a real shepherd. Your health comes first. The work. How can you work if your health is gone? You see? Okay, now, uh, now, you know, my health isn't great, but I can still minister the word. Thank the Lord for that. It's like it's like the Lord said to Mary, said, said to the disciples about Mary. She did what she could. She did what she could. And we all need to remember that. Do what you can for the Lord. 
Okay. If we redeem the time, the most productive period of our life for our spiritual usefulness in God's service should be between the ages of 20 to 30. Does it say that? No. It says between the ages of 70 and 80 or even 90 years old. Saints, the older saints, let's say hallelujah together. Hallelujah. Saints, I I qualify for senior citizen meals now. I never thought that day would come, but it is here. But this is the, this is the most the greatest time for our spiritual usefulness between 70 and 80 or even 90. You got a long way to go, brothers. Caleb and Ezra, okay. But you're still useful. Okay. The Lord's servants must realize that health comes first, the work comes second. That's not in print. That's from brotherly imprinting this on my being. Okay. Now, let me go on. There's lots of things I could share. Two says, Satan wears out our heart. When we believed in the Lord and came into the church life, we were happy, joyful, and peaceful. But if we are not watchful and do not know the work of Satan, he will uh, we will suddenly become restless one day, unhappy another day, and depressed a third day. We will backslide little by little and eventually become weary and discouraged. Instead of this, we must be those who learn how to maintain our joy. Saints, we need to pray, Lord, I want to maintain my enjoyment of Christ with you today. Three says, Satan wears out our spirit. He takes away our prayer and our trust in God. Little by little, saints, consider this. How do we gain the good land? Little by little. How does Satan wear us out? Little by little. He causes us to trust in ourselves, in our gift, and in our natural capability more and more, rather than being a lover of Christ, I love, saints, I love this, who leans on her beloved. This is at the end of Song of Song. Trusting in him helplessly for everything. Saints, let's trust in the Lord helplessly for everything. Okay, Satan wears out our time. We need to be those who are redeeming the time because the days are evil. Every day is an evil day, full of pernicious things that cause our time to be used ineffectively, to be reduced, and to be taken away. We should ask the Lord, and I even ask the Lord right now, Lord, teach me to number my days. Not only that, Lord, restore to me the years that the locust has eaten. He will do that. You might think, oh, I've wasted so much time. Just pray, Lord. Restore to me the years that the locust has eaten. Okay, five, Satan wears out our consecration. Saints, we may have been really consecrated to the Lord. I remember one brother I was caring for. He said to me, Ed, you want me to be gung-ho? You have the word gung-ho. He said, you want me to be gung-ho? I didn't say anything. When I I said, yes, I do want you to be gung-ho. I want you to be sold out for the Lord. I want you to be fully consecrated to the Lord. Of course, he was saying that in a satirical way. But, you know, soon after I left, he became gung-ho for the Lord. Anyway, 
Samson was a Nazarite, and the source of his power signified by his long hair was his consecration to God. Satan used Delilah, who pressed Samson daily with her words. Eventually, Samson's soul was vexed unto death. That's what the Bible says. She was so relentless. His soul was vexed unto death. I'm so glad, you know, Ruthie never does that to me. My soul is never vexed unto death with my wife. My soul is encouraged unto life uh, with Ruthie. Okay, listen. Samson told her all that was in his heart, revealing the source of his power. Thus, he lost his consecration, his power, his testimony of sanctification, and God's presence. B says, while we are in the process of learning Christ as the realities in Jesus, we could become very depressed, like Isaiah did, when he observed the corruption among God's people and the increasing darkness among God's people. But saints, there is a heading in one of the life studies that, you know, you know, Isaiah saw a vision in Isaiah 6. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, on a high and lofty throne. Here's what the heading says. A vision, Isaiah, a vision Isaiah saw of Christ in his depression. Saints, if you're depressed, you can see a vision of Christ. That's the perfect time for you to see a vision of Christ. So uh, let me go on. The one who appeared to Isaiah was Christ as the Lord, the King, Jehovah of hosts. On this earth, everything changes and fluctuates. But Christ the Lord is still on the throne in his glory. Hence, we should not look down at the situation on, on earth, but should look up to Christ on the throne under the ruling of the heavens, by the God of heavens. He administrates the universe, including all the kings and kingdoms of the earth, in order to fulfill his purpose, which is that Christ would be preeminent in all things under the, I'm sorry, which is that Christ would be preeminent in all things. Then, under the rule of the heavens, everything is working together for good, for the good of God's elect, for the purpose of making Christ preeminent so that they can be conformed to his image. Venice. That's French, right? And you know French? You know French, Peter. Does Venice mean the end? What? Venice. It shows how uncultured I am, right? Venice. I learned something new. Venice. Hallelujah for Venice. Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the Fini. So here we are saying. Now, uh, I think we have uh, uh, John. Do you want to come up here? Oh, yeah. Let's pray first. John, I hope we can take maybe 10 extra minutes. Since I took time, we're not going to be bothered. We, You know, lots of us, we need to, it doesn't matter if we need a little less. Anyway, um, we <laughs> We have plenty of time. So if we can go even 10 or 15 minutes longer, I think it'd be good. Okay, let's pray with our neighbor for a minute.